Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. So welcome to the podcast. This is episode 265. I'm Douglas Wilson. I'm glad you decided to join us. Thanks for listening in. So here we go. Uh, one of the things I, I, should, um, I, I should talk about at some point here would be the um, notoriety that our small town has unfortunately gathered for itself through the uh, sort of the sensational and horrific murders that occurred um, a few months ago. And as you know, there were four college students who were uh, attacked and stabbed to death uh, while they were sleeping, and they uh, and the perpetrator got away and got away for some weeks. And uh, the police here were being very tight-lipped about it. We're not talking a great deal about it, but they've, uh, as I'm recording this, uh, just about. Um, Oh, a week or so ago, week or two ago, they made an arrest and brought Brian Kohlberger into custody, who's in custody at the county jail, about a mile probably from where I'm recording this. Now, uh, there are there are a number of things that need to be stated about this. When sometimes, uh, no, I'll just put it this way: news cycles are not fair. There are more people killed in an average Chicago weekend than were killed in this horrific set of murders. But the fact that it happened to college students, the fact that it happened while they were sleeping, the fact that it happened in a sleepy little town where the last the last murder we had was like seven years ago, and Every, it's, it's very easy. It sort of makes a, a huge splash, right? And uh, there, was, there was speculation that the Moscow police were in over their heads. The FBI was all over it when this happened. Uh, state police were involved. And they just released the—now uh, the, now that uh, Kohlberger, the accused, has, has waived extradition, he was arrested in Pennsylvania. He didn't fight extradition. When he uh, appeared in court here in Idaho, then the uh, affidavit that led to his arrest uh, could be released, and uh, which I've read through. I read through the affidavit, and it's pretty apparent that the police were on his trail very early on. So they didn't. They weren't talking like they had a suspect. They weren't talking like they had someone in their sights. They weren't talking that way, and it looks like to me that this was simply good and shrewd police work. It made the uh, perpetrator think that he was getting away with it, and so they, uh, they bided their time. We just took great care. And, um, but if you read through the affidavit, it's sort of like, man, this is next-level high-tech police work. So they were able to uh, sort of reproduce Kohlberger's movements the night of the murder, based on his, uh, based on his cell phone, they were able to ba- basically map out where he was not. Where well, I'll put it, where the signal went dead because he turned off his phone. 
he turned off his phone during the during the time when the murders were committed. They extracted DNA from the from the button on the sheath that was left at the scene of the crime, the sheath sheath of the knife that was left at the at the murder scene. And uh, you look at this and say, man, I'm glad they were using all this technology to chase a murderer because that's what the cops ought to be doing. They ought to be chasing murderers. That's what that's the task that God assigns to them in Romans 13. God arms the magistrate with the sword so that they can punish the wrongdoer and reward the righteous. Part many of our social cultural upheavals are the result of uh, dealing with a government that is punishing the righteous and rewarding the wrongdoer. Uh, but this was a case where everything was right side up, just the way it ought to have been during this pursuit. But you can't help but say, oh man, look at that. If they, they were chasing this suspect because uh, on suspicion of murder, and they've they've looks to me like they've got a very strong case against him, and they were pursuing him for murder. But it has to uh, have crossed the mind of more than one intelligent observer is they could use all that same technology to chase someone for having been critical of the governor or having um, disobeyed a masking order or a lockdown order. They can do all that same stuff. All they need to have is a um, strong enough motive to be chasing you that way. So, the thing to do now, I accidentally drove by the uh, Latah County Courthouse the other day. I was just doing, I took a route I usually, uh, or at least uh, frequently take, uh, as I was heading somewhere else. And I'd forgotten that uh, Kohlberger was there in the county jail. And there was an ocean of news organizations and cameras and reporters outside the Latah County. Uh, this is something which, if they don't, if they don't transfer to another venue, if they don't transfer this case to a place like Coeur d'Alene or or Boise, this is a small town, and this trial is going to be an absolute circus. Now, uh, my understanding is that in order for the venue to be changed, that has to be requested by the defense, and if. Kohlberger wants a circus. He doesn't. All he has to do is nothing. All he has to do is keep it here, right? Always will be God. So, continuing with uh, episode 265 in the podcast, our podcast, uh, we're working through a Greek lexicon looking for sins as they are described in Greek. We are calling this study hamartiology, and we are now in the E's, or as they would put it, the epsilons. And our word today is epigero, which is translated in one place as raise and in another as stirred up. It is clear from the context that both of the uses of this word are talking about raising something negative. Think of the word foment or agitate or something else along those lines. In this first example, which is from the book of Acts, one word is underneath the word raised. Uh, excuse me, our, our word is underneath uh, the word raised, that word being epigero, and it's not stirred up. But what they raised was persecution. I've, I'll explain that in a minute. It's Acts 13.50. But the Jews stirred up 
that's not our word. The Jews stirred up. That's not our word, but it could have been, <laughs> right? But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution. There's our word. And raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. Okay, so the Jews stirred up uh, devout and honorable women. This means that these women were part of the elite caste in the, the city and the chief men of the city, and they raised persecution. That's our word. Uh, the second example is also from the book of Acts. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Okay, so this is uh, the word here is underneath stirred up. So in Acts 13, stirred up does not translate our word. And in Acts 14, too, the phrase stirred up does translate our word. So this is the same sense. These people are brewing up trouble. They're trying to make life difficult for the Christians. They are being a handful. They don't want the gospel to go out unresisted and unimpeded. So they resist, raise persecution, tell lies, misrepresent, and so on. God don't never change. He's All right. So continuing on with podcast episode 265. My book review uh, here is uh, a book by Robert Alter, who is a Jewish uh, scholar. He's done a number, of, um, a number of commentaries of Old Testament books. One of his books is The David's Story. He's written about um, biblical poetry, biblical narrative. He's, he's quite a fine uh, biblical scholar, and his, his comments are frequently very helpful. This book, Pen of Iron, is another book that I'm rereading. I read a number of years ago and, and have just started it again. It's called Pen of Iron. And basically, if you wanted to sum up what the book is about, it is how dependent the United States was in its founding on the King James Version of the Bible. So basically, a good, a strong argument. Someone once said that Scotland the Presbyterian Scots were uh, pork-eating Judaism. Uh, you know, they, they, were, they were very Hebraic in their, in their thinking. Well, that, uh, that influence, that Old Testament influence, was very strong uh, in the settling of America. And uh, an altar demonstrates and shows how much influence it had, how much influence it had on American literature, how much influence it had on American place names uh, when you name your town, how many names of towns, whether it's uh, Salem or uh, Bethlehem, or, you know, all these place names are, are names out of the Old Testament. So this is, you know, as, as you all know, many of you know, I preach out of the King James Version of the Bible, and uh, there are times where well, it's not quite like preaching uh, from a Chaucerian text or preaching out of a Shakespearean text, but it's a whole lot closer to Shakespeare than it is to us. So there are times, I'm sure, where somebody says, what? <laughs> what was that about? What, what happened there? What was that? And so what I try to do in my preaching is I try to uh, bring it alive for the modern listener. I don't think it's our duty to be obscure. 
And someone might say, well, why, why, do, you, uh, why do you preach from the King James then? Well, there's three reasons, but there's a fourth observation that I'm going to make. I'll give you the three reasons, then I'll jump to the observation. The three reasons are, I'm convinced that the manuscript tradition that the King James Version is based on is the most reliable manuscript tradition. So, manuscript issues is one. Translation philosophy is another. I, I prefer formal equivalence translations to what's called dynamic equivalent translations, although I recognize that you have to have some element of both in all translations. But I prefer a, a more strict stick-to-the-text approach to translation, which the King James has. And then uh, the third reason is that the King James Version uh, of the Bible is no longer uh, under copyright. It's in public domain. There's, so, for example, you could, if I were to list modern translations, uh, like the, the ESV, for example, is based on manuscripts that I don't think are the most reliable. And it's copyrighted by Crossway Books, and it's a formal equivalence translation. So the ESV would be one for three. Out of, out of my three criteria, the ESV would be one for three. The New King James would be two for three. It is uh, based on the right manuscript family, as far as I'm concerned. It's got a decent translation philosophy, its formal equivalence, but it's copyrighted by Thomas Nelson. And what this means is that you can't use the scriptures freely. If you um, write a book where you're trying to make a case for something biblical and you cite the scriptures a lot, you're going to get into citation difficulties or you have to get permission in order to quote uh, the Word of God, which was given to us freely. So the King James Version of the Bible, uh, I can just use and I can. And when I'm preaching from it, I can read the text, and then I can explain the text in a way that updates it. I don't have any objection to modernizing or updating the language. I don't have any objection to it at all. The, the difficulty is doing it in such a way that you have to navigate the copyright issues where no one person, no one person or entity or, or publishing house then owns it. And then can and can prohibit you from using it, can deny you permission to quote it. No, I that's what I said. But I'm still I'm talking about Pen of Iron by Robert Alter. What Alter shows, and this is something that I think is really worthwhile, is the King James Version of the Bible is, I think, the Ur text for American literature. I don't see how you can function as an educated person in letters. In, and particularly in American letters, without being thoroughly conversant with the King James Version of the Bible. And Alter knows this and demonstrates this and uh, shows, uh, and just, well, he just he makes his case. Pen of Iron, it's a very accessible read. Uh, if you enjoy letters, if you enjoy literature, if you enjoy literary history, I think you will enjoy it very much. Pen of Iron by Robert Alter. Mm-hmm. 